so 2020, our profitable multi-million dollar business went to zero. Then we built it back up. And last year we did, we grew by 80% over the year before. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on 7 and 8 figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over 7 figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to Center Stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Natasha. Natasha, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So give us a 5,000-foot view of who you are and a highlight of your business. Mm -hmm. I am an entrepreneur with a handful of businesses, but I think the, the one that we'll really focus on is my core business, Entire Productions, which is an event an entertainment production company located in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we cater to Google, Salesforce, LinkedIn, Apple, name all of those um, big names that are based in the Bay Area. And we put on really amazing um, events for them that have a design and an entertainment element to it. So we're not doing, for the most part, trade shows and meetings and such. I had a chance to look at your website and it looks fantastic. I'm like, oh my God, what, how did you get into all of that as a thing? Cause it looks yeah. awesome. So my prior career um, was being a classical violinist and jazz vocalist. So I have seven CDs out. They're all on Spotify and iTunes and all of that. And I was playing for corporate and social events both with my string quartet and my jazz ensemble. And when someone would call me and ask me if I was booked on a date that I was already booked, most musicians would say, sorry, I can't play, I'm, I'm booked. But I said, I'm booked, but I'll bring in, in a group that's as good as I am and similar to me and maybe even better and I'll manage them for you. So this was a definitely a not uh, official business when it started. Um, and I created like entire productions and I think 2001, I think it was, and I, I stopped being the main performer or it just kind of blossomed into instead of just classical and jazz, which were my specialties, dance bands, cover bands, aerialists, um, dancers, casino tables, headline artists. And it just gets crazier and crazier every year. And I've had that business for almost 22 years. It's been amazing. It's also been heartbreaking. Uh, pandemic, March, 2020, where my profitable multi-million dollar business went to a screeching zero. Oh, ouch. Yeah, so I've, I've had some bumps along the way, uh, the pandemic being the biggest one for sure. All right. Uh, as, as was with a lot of us. Absolutely. So what would you say drew you into that world? Why, how did it get so big so fast? And, and was that just kind of, that's, that's how we do go big or stay home or it didn't, what was it didn't grow big that fast. So mm -hmm. my first paid professional performance was when I was 15. And I would say I started really hustling uh, for weddings and small corporate events when I was in college. And that's when it was still unofficially a business, right? Because there was no business license. I wasn't paying taxes. 
on nobody my heard income, them <laughs> um, properly. I mean, I guess I I was to an extent because they were personal earnings. But anyway, yeah. I wasn't. I was a sole proprietor without a sole proprietor business, right? It was yeah. just yeah. And then um, I landed this account with a friend of mine. It was other people seeing in me and my capabilities seeing much bigger for me ahead of me. And so I was asked, Hey, can you program this concert series at this um, plaza in downtown Oakland? Uh, We have a concert there every Wednesday at noon. They have a big stage. They have a sound system. And that plaza had five main buildings around it and they all spilled out for lunch and they wanted to keep everyone eating at the restaurants and doing the retail around. So that was part of their marketing budget. My saying yes was a yes. And if you only want classical and jazz, that's awesome, but that's not what they wanted. So I had to <laughs> learn um, a lot of different cultural music, um, a lot of different, just things outside of my realm. And now today, fast forward, I still have that account. Wow. And I know so many different genres and disciplines of entertainment. It's, it's been a remarkable experience. I love it. So what would you say is one of the funnest parts of building your business up to kind of that million dollar mark? The funnest part is having a dream or having a goal and then realizing it. But here's the key to when that feels the most amazing Um, it's not exactly on the day that that amazing thing happened. It's the day you learn it's going to happen and all the days in between that moment. And then the thing actually happening, it's not like it's a buzzkill, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the same weight. It's a little Uh (laughs) untinkleman. Yeah. So then I'm out for my own, my next hit of dopamine. All right. That's awesome. I love it. And and so true, because I think in working with entrepreneurs, it's like training for a marathon. And the day you go and do the marathon, it's like, oh yeah, I'm doing a marathon today. (laughs) I I did, you know, ran for four hours yesterday, ran for four hours week before and ran for four, I'm going to run for four hours again. And (laughs) that's what we do now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So what would you say is one of the most challenging aspects of business to be able to build it? In that the way. people, the people, the people, people, the people. It's just, <laughs> I, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and they would agree, you know, at different phases of your business and being entrepreneur, something else might stick out, but predominantly throughout the entire life of your career as an entrepreneur, business owner, the people, if you have people, I actually just interviewed a gal on my podcast who has a $10 million business with no full-time employees. Wow. I know. Nice. But, I mean, she still has employees though. Nice. She has yeah. contractors. She has people that she pays. So that's still. So she has 150. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, you know, a little tip to her. It's um, thigh society is her brand and it's shape wear, not shape where. So check that out. But, um, the people, so human beings are messy. Yes. We aren't very, we're not as predictable as (laughs) we I'd like us to be (laughs) and finding the right people. But before that, knowing exactly 
what you need from that person and not just in the job description, what their job is, but, but taking the time to really chart out for them ahead of time, what the outcomes are mm -hmm. so that when they read through it, they're like, that's me. Or when they read through it, they're like, yeah, that's not happening because the job description is sometimes different than the outcome that's expected. And so you could do the job and not obtain the outcome. And that is not fun for anybody. Right. So it's a long tailed response, but it's starting with knowing what you actually need, being able to communicate that, then sifting through the responses, then having a good interview system and process. And you can still with all of that, even with an incredible referral from someone you know, like, and trust with a great interview, mm -hmm. they can fall flat. And so yeah. that is really challenging. Like if every, if everything is stacked up in your favor mm -hmm. and it still doesn't work, it's, it's hard. Absolutely. And I know in our case, it's a lot of times entrepreneur or our employees want to kind of learn how to do something and then go and do it and be good at it. And I quickly realized that's not our culture and that's not what we're doing. So right off the bat in our, <laughs> our applications, it's like, are you a self-learner? Do you prefer to be self-taught over knowing and then doing? Do you like spontaneously having things thrown at you and having to learn how to figure it out? Because a lot of times we don't know what our clients are going to want. We sign somebody up and they're like, oh, and I do this and that. And it's like, oh, okay. Anybody know how you do this? <laughs> don't figure this one out. This is going to be fun. And, and we do inevitably. But then that's when we started to realize we need self-starters. We need people that are okay to, you know, muddle through it. They're okay to say, I don't know how to do this. That was a big one for, especially for millennials is to say, I, I don't have a clue what you just asked me to do. And I certainly don't have a clue how to fulfill on that. Um, and, and just being able to say that, and go, oh, okay, here, let me show you. You're good. Uh, no judgment, no call. And I think too, that in, in the world of business, how we operate our businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that our personalities, you know, trickle downhill. <laughs> no matter what. They do. And I'll, and I'll say with that, I am a very, um, confident, strong personality, but I'm also incredibly introverted and only have a small amount of time that I can interact with people before I self-destruct. So when I just told you the people problem, you know, the people challenge in business, that varies on a scale, right? Depending on who you are, you could be a complete extroverted people person and your response to that question would be different than mine. But I do think that people in general are the biggest challenge in most people's um, entrepreneurial endeavors. And the businesses, absolutely. So what is, what would you say is one of the most fun aspects of your business right now and what you're doing? Right now, my team, my team is so empowered and autonomous that I get to work on my business about 20% of my time as the strategist and the visionary, um, the idea person, sometimes the, I'm stuck. I don't know the answer person. Um, and so the exciting thing is, is trying to figure out how, you know, we're coming back up to benchmark to where we were pre-pandemic, nice. how to scale and grow while I stay in this working on the business and not in it day to day, 20%. And here's some good news. So 2020, our 
profitable multi-million dollar business went to zero. Then we built it back up. And last year we did, we grew by 80% over the year before, not horrifically hard to do since we were coming from a small zero. <laughs> um, 80% growth in both profit and uh, revenue. And with only the um, expense of the employees going up by 28%. Wow. And my working on the business, not in it, 20%. So let's keep that going. Yeah. Now, are we going to grow 80% next year? Actually, probably. But we're <laughs> not going to grow 80% year over year yeah. forever. Right. Yeah. So would you say that there was an opportunity in, in rebuilding everything going, okay, whatever we're doing there, we're not doing that again. And, mm -hmm. and the thing that I wanted to do, now we can do it because you know, why not? Yeah, the thing... The, our goals pre-pandemic um, got wiped away mm -hmm. uh, because I had to lay off half of my team. And there's, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak and mm -hmm. I got a little burned, right? I got a little, I had a million dollar payroll pre-pandemic. That didn't feel good. It, actually, I didn't feel it at all before the pandemic. No problem. But then I really felt it. And mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking back then, I never want you know, that big of a, you know, responsibility. I'm not doing that again. And you, we can't really build the kind of business I have with freelancers. It's not yeah. impossible, but the level of excellence, I don't think would, would be there. Mm -hmm. And my team loves, they love their jobs and they love the team. So I don't want to mess with that just for my own comfort. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do think too, that as a business owner, one of the hardest things we have issues with is firing people or letting them go or whatever, because we do get emotionally involved with them. You know, no matter how you go, okay, these have to be your employees. And this is where you have to stand. It's like, I talk to them every day. Like I'm hearing their issues and you get to love them because you know, they're helping you build your business and it, it does become really tough to, to let them go. And I think too, a lot of times in those moments when we have to let them go, it actually works out better for everybody in a weird twisted sort of way. Yeah. Now we just it have does, to, it doesn't feel good at the time. No. That's, I don't think there's any getting over that. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about some of the exciting things you have coming up in your business now. What are you working on and where are you going? We are producing an incredibly large annual event that we have done every year for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It's a marketing event for our company, but it's also a marketing event for the venue that we're doing it in and all the caterers. It's about a $500,000 event. If you were to hire me to produce this for you, wow. uh, over 900 people come from the industry, event planners from all of those companies that I told you about and more. And uh, it's just, this one is called Into the Wild. It's at the California Academy of Sciences. And it is, it's over the top. And if you go to entireproductions.com and you look at the annual experience, that's where you'll see, you know, the, the different themes that we've done over the years. There's videos and photos are really over the top. Nice. I love it. Well, and that has to be super fun to be able to go, okay, there are no limits to what we can do. What do you want to do? <laughs> oh no. my gosh. There are like, no limits. Well, awesome. actually here's the limit. We couldn't yeah. bring a zebra into the venue. <laughs> that was one of the things we were talking about. Um, 
not that we really wanted to do balloons, but we can't bring balloons into the uh, venue. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some limitations, mm -hmm. but uh, we have, we'll have people dangling from the rafters and um, electric violinists and uh, just so many cool things. Oh, that's awesome. That is super exciting. Well, I, I'm very envious because I think I, I, even though I'm the creative director for my company, <laughs> we're not as creative as you get to be. <laughs> I don't know if anyone gets to be as creative as we are. The things that can come out of our mouths. We joke that if we should like keep a document where we're like, okay, the client's upset that the lobster um, character is pregnant and she won't share her costume with the sub. Like <laughs> who gets to say that in a professional setting? Right. And this was for a large gaming companies under the sea themed event okay i just want to know did she actually have little lobster babies on the outside <laughs> no it was she pre pre-pregnancy had this beautiful red and she was gorgeous right but she couldn't fit in it right and she wasn't willing to let somebody else wear it so we were down a lobster <laughs> lobster down lobster down <laughs> oh it's hilarious and super fun I love it. So if people are into like, are you working with businesses to help them to create their events and all that kind of thing? Like who do you work with and how does that go down? Yeah, we really, we work with those big high-end, um, huge companies yeah. and little smaller companies just can't afford what we do. Right. Um, but I know you through a group uh, with an, an, a completely separate business that I run um, and I'm teaching entrepreneurs to write the story of their life, their memoir, and Fine. figure out how to publish it, regardless of how they published in the past or how they'll publish in the future and how to market it. If they want it to be a bestseller to bestseller, uh, some people don't care about that part, but um, mine came out in March and it's Yay. a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. It's won 12 literary awards. It is being made into a movie and it is just dramatically impacted my life like I just I didn't understand what was going to happen fun so yeah. what happened to make that did you know it was going to be movie worthy when you were writing it or? yeah I mean if okay. you if you when I started telling people about my story they would always say oh my god this is like your life was a roller coaster this could be a total you know this could be a movie and then um you know, if you listen to it, especially, um, I narrate it, but there are pieces of my music woven throughout the entire narration. You can see it come to life a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Although I think people's imaginations are pretty great. So if you read it, you would fill in your own color. Um, but a lot of people's lives could be a movie. It's, I, I'm not that super special. I am proud of the book and I'm proud of how it's written. It's beautifully written. And that was important to me. It didn't, I didn't want it to read like an essay or a journal entry. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to read the book or listen to it and feel like you were being pushed into a story, like maybe a fictional story and you just couldn't put it down. And that is what people are saying. They're like, I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. I no. like Jack Canfield from chicken soup for the soul. He was like, I, I had to go to bed. I was in bed. I was reading your book. I really needed to go to sleep. My wife was like, turn off the light. And he was like, I, I couldn't do it. So that is some good feedback. 
Right. And I want to help other people get their stories out. And, and you have to be willing to be vulnerable. If you're not, don't write a memoir. Nobody, it's not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. But get their stories out, leave their legacy, leave their legacy before they're gone. And it's the stuff that entrepreneurs, I think, really need to hear. Yes, we need to also know their subject matter expertise. And most entrepreneurs will think about doing that first. Oh, I'm going to write a book on how to plan events for corporate. I mean, yeah, great. (laughs) Yes, there's probably a need for that. Okay. But I decided to come out with my memoir, which to me was more important. And it's feeling like it's way more impactful than a how-to book would be for me. Nice. And was it because there was kind of the message that had to be kind of out of you, which I totally yeah. understand. It's like, I have this idea and it has yeah. to get out of me. Or or was it more, hey, people can really learn from this or kind of be yeah. embedded in it and make a I difference? I think I started writing it thinking, okay, you had an incredibly, incredibly challenging life. And then you've had incredibly wonderful experiences. And your story is crazy. When people start to hear it, they're like, what are you talking about? How is that even possible? And then I thought, well, that would be an interesting story. And I had enough distance from some of the worst inflection points and even some of the highest inflection points that I could relate to them instead of being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate this person. They're so horrible. You don't write a book then. That's not a good time to write a book. <laughs> but you have some time to reflect back and, and make sense of why it happened, what lessons you learned. And it wasn't until later in the process that I really understood the potential of helping other people. And that's because I didn't let anyone read it until toward the end. And then when I had my trusted readers read it, their response was so overwhelming. And I chose people that I knew, but they weren't my best friends or family. I wasn't super close to them. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, you can say one good thing about the book, one. But the reason why I'm choosing you to read this is to let me know, were you lost anywhere? Where did it get boring? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. I needed construction, constructive criticism. And one gal wrote, I'm making this up because, right? She didn't have really much to say. (laughs) She's like, here's all the good stuff. And then here's some stuff I'm making up. Now, other people found some places where um, we were able to use their, you know, critique and yep. make it better. But then when it came out, um, the response of the people read, who read it has just been overwhelming. And the big surprise to me, and you may have heard me say this before, is that I never in my life thought that men would read the book, you know, be called to it or drawn to it. Yep. But I'm, they're reading the book. I don't know if they're reading I don't know if more men are reading it than women, but more men are reaching out to me and responding like, thank you for humanizing mental health. Thank you for being so vulnerable. This is the book I wish I had the courage to write, like highlights and underlines. And and recently I was on um, a podcast and the guy that was interviewing me was reading excerpts from my book and I couldn't stop him. Like, I mean, I didn't really want to stop him, but he wasn't, I didn't ask him to do that. Yeah. 
So I was like sitting back on this podcast. I'm like, do you, do you need me here? <laughs> you should read that a, out. You're doing great. A really good sign that you have done something uh, even better than you thought it was going to be. Nice. And the book is called. Yes. I'll show it to you. Relentless. Nice. Homeless teen to achieving the entrepreneur dream. Love that. Yeah. Love it. So when you're working with clients, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that a lot of them feel like, eh, you know, I got a story in me, but it doesn't compare to that. And because yeah. I think a lot Absolutely. of people, as soon as they open up that vulnerability, all of a sudden it's a comparison. Mm-hmm. And how do you kind of nip that in the bud and, and get people to? I mean, I had that same these. feeling too. So I got over it. And this is what I would say. If somebody had a very similar story to mine, people still need to hear that story because it's coming from their lens through their voice, through where they grew up from the time they were growing up. Right. And just because you don't have inflection points that are, I was dropped off at a homeless shelter when I was 16 on Christmas day by my dad, right. That's pretty harsh. Merry Christmas. But I'm working with um, writers that have their own stories. And I don't see anybody measuring uh, their own experiences, but I think they understand by the time they get to me and after they go through the masterclass and after they, you know, see my passion that I actually truly believe that you don't have to have, you know, the knockdown drag out abusive story for mm-hmm. people to learn, but you do have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And two of the things that I wrote in the book Um, I was so vulnerable that I hadn't even expressed those two things to my best friend or my therapist, but, but not every single thing that I could be vulnerable about vulnerable about is in the book. You don't need to do that, right? It's, you do not have to list off every single thing that you would rather not say out loud to be taken seriously. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that vulnerability has a, a twist to it that isn't just, Hey, this is all the crap that happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's good things can happen to you, but in the vulnerability kind of aspect of it, it's how do you make it human? How do you make that thing, your experience? How do I see through your eyes? How do I feel what you felt? And I think that's kind of the crux of it. And that for most people is a really difficult part because they're so used to kind of shutting that down and not oh, feeling yeah. that. Absolutely. People don't want to lead with vulnerability. And to tell you the truth, I couldn't have done it until the time I did it. I'm 51. Could I have done this at 40? Not as well, not as eloquently, not as gracefully. And I'm not sure I would have been as open back then. Yeah. That's me. Somebody else could be 38 and be completely where I personally am at this point. So I think you get a sense for knowing if this is the right time in your life. And I actually had a gal that went through my program. It was an incredible story. And she had a very good reason for not being able to publish now. She was not willing to risk um, a challenge with her, you know, family. And that makes complete sense. Yeah. It's really hard to write a memoir and go, and we'll just rub out these people's names. Yeah. <laughs> Still your brother. Oh. Mm-hmm. So when most people go to you, is it because that they have this kind of inkling that 
they just need it's time to get their memoirs out or is there some event that happens they're like oh yeah I got to do that I think the people that come to me have either been encouraged by somebody else to write the story of their life or it's just really within them at that time to do it and you know the people that hear about my particular program memoir Sherpa um, you know I talk about it to entrepreneurs and to thought leaders and to titans of industry. Uh, but I find other people coming to me, you know, kind of outside of those three buckets um, to work with me. And I, of course, will work with those people, but those are my three, you know, main points. Uh, because to learn about an entrepreneur's success, how they got there, and then what they went through along, you know, the road. That's the most interesting to me. Thanks. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I know our, our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start that journey with you? Please go to the domain name, natashamiller.com that I just paid very dearly to finally get after 30 years of the gal not giving it to me and never using it. Oh, use it. Use, use it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we're glad you got it. And it makes it easy. We will, of course, have that link in the show notes for peeps as well as your others. And that is fantastic and awesome. So I get to ask you, you give it a little inkling of it, but at what point in life did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I believe that I am an entrepreneur by necessity uh, first. We didn't call it that. Yeah. And I became that. <laughs> That is a new fancy French word, entrepreneur. Um, I actually probably heard that word only when my daughter was two. So she's 27 now. So 25 years ago. Uh, at that point, I mean, I have worked for other people in uh, advertising and media buying. But man, I think even then those people knew she's not really an employee. Like she doesn't have employee She's got a, I'm going to go make it out. I'm going to make it myself uh, vibe. Yeah. So I guess since about 15, it had been revealed to me that this is probably going to be my life. Wow. That's awesome. Well, we are glad you did because clearly you made it spectacular in many, many ways. Natasha, you've been absolutely awesome. Is, any last words for our peeps? Any last words is... Here's, here's, here's something that's important to me. It is not enough to be resilient when life kicks you in the butt. You can't be just resilient to get to where you want to go. You have to be relentless in the pursuit of your successes and endeavors. And that is how I got to where I am today from, you know, where before. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.